The following is a presentation of New Life Foursquare Church. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to join us live each Sunday at 11 a.m. at our Norwalk or Harbor City campuses. You can learn more about us on the web at newlifefoursquare.org. In this episode, Pastor Mike Joannidis at our Harbor City campus launches a new series entitled Yes and invites us to say yes to Jesus and his mission. Sometimes I feel like life is uh, like a never-ending set of choices. Like it's just one decision after the next, after the next, after the next, after the next. And I'm just, like I find myself sometimes just waiting for the moment where I can just breathe. Like just, I just want to sit here. I don't want to do anything. I think that's why I love vacation so much, right? Especially like the first time I went on a cruise, like everything is taken care of, Right? Um, I, and when it came time for dinner that first night on the cruise, and they're like, you can have whatever you want. I ordered everything on the menu. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? I don't want to choose today. Bring all of it. I had crab and shrimp and lobster and a little fried alligator. I, I was like, sure. We had all the desserts. We didn't eat it all. I felt like such a glutton. It was bad. I'm not, yeah, Anyway. But we have all these choices to make, right? We have big ones, like the, the college you go to, the career you pursue, the person you're going to marry. Don't just make that choice haphazardly. Um, going to buy a house. Like, these are big things. Uh, we just bought, uh, my daughter is going to be one in eight days. And she's too big for her little car seat. I was looking at the picture when we first brought her home, and she was like five pounds when we brought her home from the hospital, and we had all the car seat inserts in there, and she was just all snuggled up, and now she's too big for it, so we just had to go buy her a, a, a bigger, like a convertible car seat. I'm like, we should have done this from the beginning. Why don't we spend extra money? But it was like, it was, it was a big purchase for us. Like, this is going to be her seat. I put her in it this morning, and she was like, I don't like this. I'm not used to this. I'm like, it's your big girl seat, and she's crying. She doesn't get it. Whatever. Anyway, uh, we have smaller choices, right? Like, what am I going to wear today? Uh, What am I going to eat for dinner, right? What are we going to watch on Netflix? The majority of the arguments I have with my wife are centered around what we're going to eat. Where are we going to go? Where are we going to go for lunch? Where are we going to go for dinner? I don't know. You choose. I always choose. You choose. Fine, whatever. Let's just eat toast. But if you, if you go back to like your earliest memory and then trace your life from there to where you are today, right, it's just a series of choices. What am I going to do? And you have these significant life moments that you'll probably remember, right, the first time, uh, the first time you experienced freedom as a kid. Like, do you remember the first time like your parents handed you the car keys and were like, go ahead, go out, have fun. Um, the first romantic relationship you were in. Anybody remember your first romantic relationship? First girlfriend I had was uh, sixth grade. It was dumb. We saw each other at school. You know, I, I stayed up late one night making a mixtape, but it was like listening to the radio, right, and then hit record when the song comes on, try to stop it before the DJ comes back, and it was all like boys to men, and, and boys to men songs that a, six, a sixth grade boy should not be dedicating to a sixth grade girl. Like, it's married people music, boys to men, right? Um... But yeah, it was dumb. Uh, first, first credit card. Do you remember your first credit card? I applied for a credit card when I turned 18, got a $300 credit line, maxed it out the day I got it. <laughs> I just went shopping that day. I was, I was so dumb financially. Nobody taught me how to do any of these things. But we're having financial peace. If you look in your bulletin, you can uh, learn how to not make mistakes like I did. Um, getting married, like any of you married folks, uh, significant life moment when you got married. Uh, Edgar, can I ask you a question? Sorry. When you married Renee, did you guys like have your own, did you do, write your own vows? No. no, you didn't write. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, so uh, who, did, did Pastor Ken do your ceremony? He did, the whole thing. he did the whole thing. So at one point he was like, do you, Edgar, take Renee to blah, 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 blah. And you said? Yes. You said yes, yeah. You didn't like pause. Like you, it would be weird like if you pause and you looked around <laughs> and you're like, I don't see any other options, so, <laughs> right, like, that didn't happen, right? Like, Renee didn't have to, like, call her mom and be like, are you sure, should I do this, should I say yes? Like, you guys were sure, right? You're like, we're going to marry each other and have beautiful babies. 
right? That's, that's how it happened, right? Because it'd be weird if that was like how it happened at a, at a wedding. Like, um, let, me, let me just check Facebook real quick, make sure this person isn't single right now, but before I commit. Uh, but sometimes, sometimes when we say yes to following Jesus, it, it's not like this commitment of yes, like I am, I am nothing without you, God. Yes, I will follow you. I will give you, I will give you my heart. I'll give you my soul. I live for you alone. I'm like, yeah, God, I'll give you the bad times, but if you could leave me alone when things seem to be going all right, that would be great. But when we're presented with the gospel message, it's probably the most significant moment any of us will ever be presented with in our life, right? Because it's the moment where God is offering to forgive us completely for our sins, make us right with him through the sacrifice of Jesus, and say, I want to give you a new life and a new identity, right? And so... A lot of times we get the question like, well, I said yes, but what did I say yes to? So that's the purpose of this series is, is to kind of talk about for the next, I think, six weeks, what you said yes to when you said yes to Jesus. Because shocker, you said yes to more than just following him. You said yes to more than just a ticket to heaven, more than salvation, right? When I said yes to marry my wife, I said yes to my wife's family too. I love my wife's family. Why are you laughing? Um, but yeah, you say yes to, to more than just a ticket to heaven. And, and we, we, the moment we say yes to Jesus, right, we enter into this relationship with God. We have access to God. Right? Remember when Jesus dies on the cross and everything's dark and the veil gets torn and it's, 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 it's symbolic to show us that we don't need a high priest to go to Jesus anymore. Like we can go straight to God with our concerns, with our prayers. And we, we are adopted into his family. We identify with the risen Savior who, who understands our weaknesses, who, has, uh, who, who can sympathize and empathize with us, right? We have the Holy Spirit to, to lead us, to guide us, to empower us. We're freed from the condemnation of sin, right? Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're secured in the love of God through Christ. We can know truth. We can experience freedom. We, can, we get to partner with the Lord, Salvation is, is so much more than just the afterlife. And it's kind of sad when, when, I mean, it is a very real thing that without Jesus, we go to hell. Like, that is the truth of Scripture. But we shouldn't just be scared into something like that. I don't, I don't believe that we should just be scared into something like that. We were at a Torrance Farmer's Market a few weeks ago, and there were these guys with the big signs like, you're going to burn in hell. And he's like screaming at people like, you're going to hell. And I'm like... That's not nice. You know, that's what I tell my daughter. It's not nice. It doesn't work with a grown man with a sign. Um, but anyway, let's pray. Lord, help us to understand the truth of life with you and what you want to offer us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So when you said yes to Jesus, you said yes to his mission. You said yes to the work of God, not just the person of God, Right? Uh, if, we, if we view sa- salvation as just our, our, our way into heaven, then we're going to be content to just sit there and wait for that, right? We're going to be content to just come to church, go to a Bible study, put a, put a, put a uh, bumper sticker on our car, and just wait for Jesus, right? You get the sticker that says, uh, in case of rapture, this car will be unmanned. You guys seen that scripture? I mean, that, that scripture, that bumper sticker. I'm like, that's so weird. Um, this is not what Jesus intended. Jesus didn't intend us to just be lazy Christians, right? He didn't intend for us to just sit around and wait for him to come back and, and be grumpy and complain about things, right? When we said yes to following Jesus, we said yes to his mission. We said yes to abandoning our old way of life and following Jesus to a new life and a new way of doing things. We're denying ourselves and we're living for God. And more importantly, we're saying yes to spreading the message of the gospel and making disciples. Now, look, uh, Luke 19.10, this is what God, uh, Jesus says. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That was his mission. Jesus' mission was to seek and save the lost. And then in John 17, uh, Jesus is praying for the disciples and he says this to the Lord. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. And then when Jesus, after the resurrection, goes and talks to the disciples, he says in John 20, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. 
right? So all of this is you are called and now I'm sending you out. And then you see this kind of formal commissioning in Matthew 28. Uh, we all know this scripture. He says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded, with, that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This was not just for these 11 guys, right? This is for all of us. This is something that 2019 years later, Jesus is calling us to do. He's saying, go and make disciples. Go and spread the gospel. Go and tell people about me, the good news. So when you said yes to Jesus, you said yes to sharing the gospel and making disciples. So the question I have is like, who was the last person you shared the gospel with? When was the last time you made a disciple? When was the last time you led somebody and guided them through this process of becoming more Christ-like, right? Discipleship is, is displaying Christ-like character. When was the last time you did that? But unfortunately, it's not as easy as go make disciples. It's a little bit more difficult, and a lot of times there's, uh, there's things that we need to take care of first. So I want to spend the rest of the time this morning looking at some of these preliminary things that we need to, that need to take place in our life in order for us to be able to actually follow the call that God has given us. The first thing you need to do is get the focus off yourself. Look at the person next to you and tell them, it's less about you than you think it is. Did that make sense grammatically? I hope so. Okay, Psalm 23. Anybody have Psalm 23 memorized? Somebody does. Somebody in this room has Psalm 23 memorized. Everybody knows Psalm 23, even if you, like, this is your first time in church, like, you know it. You know Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Anyway, we're going to start on the first three verses. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So we're going to break this down a little bit. The Lord is my shepherd, right? In order for us to view God as shepherd, we have to view ourselves as sheep. This means that we are declaring complete dependency on God. The sheep does nothing for themselves, right? They are completely dependent on God for absolutely everything in their or The shepherd, they're, they're dependent on the shepherd for everything in their life. They don't do anything on their own. So we have to understand that, that we belong to God. He cares for us. He watches over us. He protects us. That he gives us everything that we would ever need, right? So we are going to God for everything, 100% dependent on him. And if he is my shepherd, then I shall not want, right? This is a declaration, and it's also a decision, right? It's, it's all of my needs are supplied by God, and I'm deciding not to desire more than what God wants me to have, right? It's I'm deciding not to chase after things for my own sake. I'm deciding to be content with what the Lord has given me and blessed me with. So it's a declaration, and it's also a decision to, to be content with him. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And I was reading something this week, and it, it's, it's really cool. It's from this guy who's like studied shepherds for years and years and years. And uh, maybe you know all this, but I didn't. Sheep, sheep don't just lie down and sleep. They don't just go to sleep, right? They're always active. Maybe that's why when we're trying to sleep, we count sheep because they're awake. Um, but they have, like sheep have conditions that need to be met before they will go to sleep. They won't lie down if they're afraid. Like if anything is around that's, that could be a, a, a source of fear, they won't lie down and go to sleep. Uh, sheep, I found out, are very social animals. So if there's any friction in the flock, like I don't, I don't know what that means. Like are they arguing about something and the shepherd has to sit down and be like, all right, man, like you stole his grass. <laughs> like, that was clearly, he called dibs and you took it. So you say sorry. Like, I don't know how this works, but I, I was reading that they're social animals. And so if there's any friction, they won't go to sleep. Um, if there's like bugs or flies or anything around, like they won't lie down and go to sleep. And then they won't lie down if they're hungry, right? So let's, let's get like super, super churchy with all the same letter of the words here. So the shepherd has to do with fear, friction, flies, and famine. <laughs> fear, friction, flies, and famine before the sheep will lay down, right? So the shepherd has to take care of all of these things 
before the sheep will rest. So if the Lord is my shepherd and he calls me to lie down in green pastures, then God is going to take care of my needs. Do you get that? Like we spend so much time worrying about how we're going to get by to another day or how I'm going to fix this problem. And David paints the picture for us, right? He says, if God is your shepherd, then he's going to take care of you and let you rest. Look at somebody say, you look tired. You need to rest. (laughs) Um, He leads me beside still waters, right? So this is just more language that is describing God's care and comfort. He restores my soul. He brings me to a place of repentance and then restores me through his forgiveness. He leads me in paths of righteousness, right? God acts as our guide, right, to fulfill the will that he has for our lives. He's guiding us along this path of holiness and and obedience to his commandments, and he's helping us to, to walk on this path of righteousness. But why? Why does God do all this? Why does God care for us? Why does God provide for us? Why does he guide us? Why does he do all of these wonderful things for us? The answer we want to tell ourselves is, oh, God does all these things because he just loves me so much. Because I am the best, and God did it for me. Well, Psalm 23 tells us, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. God does it for his glory. We, we like to look at God through our cultural lens. And when we do that, we assume that the mission of God is about us, but it's not. The mission of God is about God, right? Everything, we, we like to say everything exists so that God would save me, rescue me, love me, protect me, take care of me for all the days of my life so I can come and sing these wonderful songs in church. And he does love you. He does care for you. He does protect you. However, the motivation goes beyond you and me. It goes beyond us, right? God's motivation is his own glory. His motivation is so that it would be for the praises of his glorious grace. You ever heard of cat and dog theology? No, I didn't think so. So a cat says, my owner feeds me, cares for me, and cleans up after me, so I must be God. But a dog says, my owner feeds me, cares for me, and cleans up after me, he must be God. Right? That's why any of you who have a dog and a cat at home, when you go home, your dog's going to be like, oh, I'm so excited to see you. And your cat's going to be like, yo, I don't care. Where were you? Give me some food. <laughs> Sorry, I know there's a lot of people that, you love cats. And I bless your heart. <laughs> but a lot of us are too feline in our theology, right? And you are not the center of God's story. God is the center of God's story. You get that, right? We like to over-spiritualize things and place ourselves into the stories of the, especially the Old Testament, right? And I've done this, I'm like, man, I just need to be like David and go get my five stones and slay my giant. But you know what happens when I, when I put myself in the story of David? I miss five times and then the giant kills me. Because the point of that story is not me. The point of that story is not David. The point of that story is God bringing glory to himself by empowering David to kill this Goliath of a man. It's about God. It's not about you. It's not about me. Um, I feel like this could be a whole sermon series in its own. Um, But I want to give you a, a short list of scriptures to kind of support the idea that God has orchestrated all of this for his own glory. So we'll put some of those up on the screen. Uh, If you are a picture taker, you can take a picture, right? So God created us for his glory. Uh, He calls Israel for his glory. He rescues Israel for his glory. Man, we can seriously find comfort in the fact that God never completely destroyed the nation of Israel because they deserved it a lot. And there was a lot of times where God would like pull Moses aside and he was like, yo, Moses, I don't know what's going on here, but I'm just gonna kill everybody and start again with you. And Moses is like, please, please don't do that, God. Like, please. And he's like, all right, all right. I'll listen to you, Moses. He spares Israel in the wilderness for the glory of his name. He does all of it for his glory. Next one. Jesus sought the glory of the Father in everything that he did. He tells us to do good works so that God gets the glory. Right? Sometimes I have, like, approval addiction. And I want people to approve of what I'm doing. And I want people to think, like, oh, man, he's a, Pastor Mike's doing a great job. 
right? But Jesus says, stop that. Do good things so God gets the glory. Jesus endured his suffering for God's glory, and we are instructed to do everything for the glory of God. Think about that, everything, right? Not just like serve in the church for the glory of God, but when you're eating, when you're drinking, when you're having a cup of coffee, when you're driving on the freeway, like do everything for the glory of God. Like make God the center of everything that you do. And that would be life-changing if we did that. Um, There's a lot more. Uh, and I, this is stuff that I found from uh, a list of scriptures that I found from a pastor that I follow. Uh, but the point is, God is for God. Say that. God is for God. Yes. God is for God. He's not, he, the center of the Bible is not us. I'll just say that again. When God is working, he's working for God. When God forgives our sins, he's doing it for the praise of his glorious grace. When he's shepherding you, when he's protecting you, when he's leading you, when he's guiding you, it's so that he might be worshiped and praised and adored and enjoyed. He does it so that we can enjoy him. This is very countercultural, especially in America. We're not used to this. We like to say things like, I deserve this. I'm entitled to this. It's all about my happiness. You do you. I'm just doing me. I'm just living my best life. Sometimes I look at people that say, I'm living my best life. I'm like, no, you're not. You're living a life that you want everybody to look at and be jealous. But you got some issues that you need to take care of. You need Jesus. We got to get the focus off of ourselves. Because we are not the point of the Bible. God is. This is good news. This is really good news. If God is not after, if God is after the praise of his glorious grace, then he's not after my begrudging submission. You get that? If God, God is not after obedience that I don't want to have. He's not after me following a list of rules. He's after me enjoying his presence, living in joy walking with him, submitting to him out of love. He's after my joy. He wants me to live in the joy that he offers me, right? Jesus says, my peace, I leave with you. My joy, I leave with you. It's like, I, 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 I want you to have an abundant joy in your life. God wants you to enjoy life this side of heaven. Not just wait around for the afterlife. He wants me to focus on him, focus on his glory, and focus on the joy that he offers, right? He's taking care of me. I shall not want a declaration and a decision. I'm choosing to live in the fullness of what God has to offer. So how does this connect with the mission of making disciples? When it's not about me, I'm free to glorify God in the way that I love and serve other people. When I'm focused on my own needs being met, then I get frustrated when somebody calls me up or texts me on Saturday and asks me to serve on Sunday morning. Man, sometimes in the last few months, when I've been like texting people and somebody, somebody's like, hey, Pastor Mike, I can't be there on Sunday, and it's like eight o'clock on Saturday, and then I'm like, oh man, who am I gonna text? Oh, they're gonna be so mad at me because I'm asking them to come in the morning. Most of the time when I text you guys about that, you're like, sure, I'll be there. And I'm like, oh, why was I worried? But when it's not about me, I'm free to glorify God in the way that I love and serve other people. And when I'm interrupted in the busyness of my day with somebody that needs my help, I don't get mad at them. Because I can realize, hey, it's not about me, right? God is my shepherd. He's gonna take care of my problems. He's gonna take care of the things that I need. And he's freeing me up to be who he's called me to be for these people in my community. I can trust God's plan for my life because he's out to bring glory to himself. And this is so like awesome, right? God is out to bring glory for himself. So whatever he calls me to do, it is eventually going to end in his glory, him being glorified and God being praised. So I know that all things are gonna work out. I get to extend grace, I get to show love, I get to spread joy, I get to share the gospel, I get to make disciples because it's not about me. And this is not to say that you don't matter because you do and your needs matter, but we gotta understand that we get the focus off of ourselves. God is supplying our needs. 
right? He is able to do immeasurably more than we could even ask for. So get the focus off yourself. Get your focus on Christ. Any NASCAR fans? Good. You're in the right place. I really despise NASCAR. But a lot of times, I feel like I'm a NASCAR driver, like just going in circles with no direction really fast, just trying not to crash. I, I really, I don't understand how somebody could sit down for like three or four hours and watch cars make left-hand turns. Like, it's just, I don't get it. But I feel like in those moments, like I'm not doing anything significant, right? Like I'm literally just going in circles. And I'm living an ordinary life in an ordinary way and not making much out of what God has given me, right? The reality of our life with Jesus is when he calls us, when we say yes, he provides purpose and significance to our lives, right? We don't have to chase after those things any longer and try to find them in things that are fleeting. Like Jesus solidifies that in us. He gives us purpose. He calls us to a higher mission. He gives our life significance. And he invites us to live our, our ordinary lives in an extraordinary way, by giving back, by reaching out, by living for something bigger than ourselves. That's what this discipleship process is, helping people see the purpose and significance that they have in Christ, helping them to live in an extraordinary way for God's glory. So to get the focus on, on Christ, this is what Paul says in, in Colossians 3. He says, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Okay, so Easter Sunday, for three days after Jesus dies, the tomb, the stone is rolled away, the tomb is empty, right? Why didn't Jesus just stay there? Like, why didn't he stay there and like wait for the disciples to come and be like, surprise, here I am? Or like it was, I'm sure it was a nice tomb, right? It was Joseph of Arimathea, like it was his tomb. Like, he was a Pharisee, he was probably rich. Like, and Jesus being like God of the universe, he could have transformed that thing into like a nice studio apartment. He could have run small groups out of there. Like there's a lot of things he probably could have done with this tomb, but, but he, he leaves, right? We don't think about that question because it's, it's a silly question. Like why did Jesus leave the tomb? Duh, right? It was a grave, why is he gonna stay there? Why is he gonna stay in a place that represents death? So the question I have for us is, why do we stay enslaved to the sin that represents death in our life after Jesus has set us free? Like, we have all been in this place before knowing Jesus, right? The wages of sin is death, so we have this tomb ready for us and waiting because that's what we deserve, and Jesus sets us free, but we choose to stay in the tomb. Like, get out of there. We stay wrapped up in our, in our burial clothes, and what's comfortable for us and what we've known, and we don't allow the freedom of Jesus to fully take hold. I heard about this thing, right, where uh, elephants in like the circus, when they're little baby elephants, they tie them to a, 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 just a small little stick that they can't pull free from. You've probably heard this before. And then when they get older, they tie them to that same stick, but the elephant thinks that it can't break free because it's always not been able to from the time it was really little. Right? And a lot of us are living, all you gotta do is... Psh, just move your leg. Just get out. Follow Jesus. Jesus sets us free. Uh, Paul says it, I think, in Galatians. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So stop being yoked by the slavery of sin and walk in the fullness of the freedom that Christ has offered you. Jesus rolls the stone away from our tomb but we choose to stay there and not completely follow him because our focus is not on him, it's still on us. Paul says we've been raised with Christ. If we're raised with Christ, right, if that is a representation of our death, so any of you who wanna get baptized, baptism was the very first thing that every Christian did in the early church. They would say yes to Jesus and then they would go get baptized. And it was, the, it was usually the very first thing they did as a declaration of their faith, right? And baptism is representation of us being buried with Jesus and raised to life, right? So if we've been raised with Christ, 
then we should follow the example of the resurrected Jesus. And number one, leave the tomb. Then Jesus spends time ministering to his disciples. He goes and hangs out with people. He goes and shares more about the kingdom of heaven. And then he looks forward to heaven. He looks, his, his mind is set on eternal things, right? He's not just looking at where's my next meal gonna come from? How am I gonna pay my bills? Right? His mind is set on heavenly things. So Paul says, set your hearts on things above. In the scriptures, the heart represents the center of a person's being, right? It's the core of who you are. And the Greek word for set means that you're, you're seeking something out, seeking intently with the, with the intent of, of possessing it, right? So set your hearts on things above. Seek after the things above with the intent of grabbing hold of them, like grabbing hold of these eternal possessions, right? He, Jesus also says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, right? So our heart should be focused on the risen Christ who sits at the right hand of God. And if our heart is focused on the risen and exalted Christ, then our treasure will be found there also, and we will be content with those things. That treasure should be glorifying God, fulfilling the call that Jesus gives us and making disciples. This is what you said yes to when you said yes to Jesus. Setting your heart on things above means that you're striving to put heaven's priorities into daily practice. Right? You're striving to prioritize your life based on what God wants, not what you want. Paul also says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. This means that we should be concentrating on the eternal rather than the temporal, right? Not about the things of this world that fade away, but focusing on what lasts for eternity, which is sharing the gospel, making disciples. Focus on Jesus. Place your thoughts on Jesus. Look at your life in light of eternity. This should influence our actions, right? I mean, think about it. How long is eternity? Like, it's, it's eternal. We have so many years on earth. Like, I want to focus on getting myself ready to be with Jesus. When I go to heaven, like, I want to walk in with a whole group of people that I told the gospel to, a whole group of people that I helped disciple. Like, I want to go by myself. I want to bring a party with me. I want to have a, a heaven entourage. We get one life to live. And the best use of that life is fulfilling the calling that Jesus gives us. In Philippians, Paul gives a little bit more explanation about the kinds of things our minds should be uh, uh, set on. Wow, you're quick, John. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think about things connected with God, connected with God's glory, connected with the call that he's given us to preach the word and make disciples. By telling believers to set their hearts and minds on Christ, Paul is encouraging us to focus the entirety of our being on Jesus. He's saying, commit your entire life to this, everything that you do. If we focus our, if we focus our hearts and our minds on Christ, then the things we do, our actions, will by nature be pleasing to God because we're seeking to bring him glory. We're seeking to focus on him rather than ourselves. And we're seeking his help in accomplishing the work of Christ, which is to seek and save the lost. I mean, God can, can God do it by himself? Yeah. But God chooses to partner with us. God chooses to use you in the unique situation you're in, in the family that you're in, in the work environment that you're in, in the community that you're in, with the angry neighbors upstairs that are super loud and annoying at 12 o'clock on a Saturday night when you have to wake up in the morning and preach the next day, like God is placing you there on purpose. <laughs> so that you can be a light to those people. So that you can share the love of Christ with those people. Right? We all, I've heard so many times people are like, oh, I'm just waiting for the right opportunity. And I'm like, you live next door to the right opportunity. You work with the right opportunity. You're married to the right opportunity. You gave birth to the right opportunity. Like, these are the people that you should be discipling. Sorry. Get involved is my last point. Get involved. From time to time, I, I see this comment on social media, 
and I've seen it so much, like on Facebook, I turned off uh, Facebook stuff. Like, I don't get any notifications or anything, so like, you invite me to something on Facebook, I'm not going to see it. And you're going to be like, Pastor Mike did not respond to me, and I just want to tell you right now, I don't check it. Because there's, and part of it is these, these comments that I see that drive me crazy, right? Somebody has this tragedy in their life or this painful, painful thing that happens to them, and they say, would you please pray for me? And somebody will be like, praying for you. And I'm like, yeah, good job, right? Or I just said, I just said a prayer for you. I, when somebody asks me, will you pray for me, like through text, it's easy to just go, sure, put my phone down, keep doing whatever I was doing, right? So try to make it a habit. If somebody ever texts you and says, will you pray for me? Pray for that person in that moment and then text them, I just prayed for you. Keeping, keeping yourself accountable, right? So people ask for prayer, they ask for help and stuff like that. And somebody will comment, sending positive thoughts your way are sending you positive vibes. And I look at that and I'm like, what am I supposed to do with your positive thoughts? Like, sure, maybe that means you're thinking about me, but that's not gonna help me right now. Like, your positive thoughts are not gonna cure my sickness. Like, you can sit there and bake your brownies and think nice things about me, but that's not gonna help me. Like, I'm asking you to pray for me. Like, Jesus can help my sickness. Your chill vibes can't. So I want to just be like, keep your dumb thoughts to yourself. I don't want those. Pray for me. Spirit-filled believers who are following the call of Jesus can make a difference. But if all we do is think about helping and we never put it into action, we're doing nothing. We can sit there and think and think and think and think and think. And we can say, it's not the right season. I'm just, I'm just waiting for the right season. What if the right season is now, right? What if you're, we, we want like the planets to align and the heavens to open up and God to descend from his throne of grace and say, Michael, I am calling you to my holy service. That's not gonna happen, right? Look around you. Look at the people that you see on a daily basis. Those are the people that God is calling you to reach out to. You've got to get involved. Look at somebody, tell them, you're a minister, You are called to minister the gospel. Every single one of us is. You are called to ministry. We all are as followers of Christ. I'll prove it, Ephesians 4. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers to equip his people, me too, for the work of the ministry so that the body of Christ, all of us, may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. When do we attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ? When we're with him in heaven. In other words, the work that Paul is saying we need to do right now of making disciples does not stop. It's not something that we reach fully until we're with Jesus in eternity. Right, the mission we said yes to is one of discipling people to become mature Christians. Right? Our teaching team, what we want to do is, is preach God's word to you. We want to we preach the, the truth and the fullness of what God's word says. We don't want to preach something that's, that's fun and quotable that you can put on Instagram. Like, uh, we're not out for tweets and retweets, right? We want, we're not just doing this for the sake of preaching. I hate the sound of my own voice. Sometimes I'll go back and I'll listen to my messages and I'm like, ugh, I sound like that? I'm like, why do you talk to me, Christina? I'm like, what? ugh. But what we want to do is show you how you can participate in the message of the gospel. Show you how heaven intersects with your life and makes this, <laughs> there's this 311 song called Beautiful Disaster, right? It makes this beautiful thing out of our lives. And God is saying, this is how, I want to partner with you, and our job is to, to help you see how heaven and earth are intersecting and how God is calling us. We're not trying to build a name for new life. We're not trying to start a ministry fad and gain followers for our own sake, right? We want to build the kingdom of God. We're called to make disciples. That's what Jesus is calling all of us to do. We're proclaiming that Jesus is Lord. If you proclaim that Jesus is Lord of your life, then you have a job to do. 
Let me read you another scripture in Romans. In Romans 10, do you have that, John? It should be one before this. There you go. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. If you never want to have to pay for a pedicure again, preach the gospel because you'll have beautiful feet. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) This statement is about (laughs) it's talking about the movement, right? How beautiful is it when people are moving and going and doing what God has instructed them to do? People don't participate in the gospel by default. Like, you can't just leave a Bible on the floor and then watch people and somebody's gonna trip over it and be like, oh, Jesus! They'll probably say that, but not for the right reason. You can't just, I wish Christianity was like contagious and I could just go, ah! And I'm like, praise the Lord! Right, But we have to do something about it. We have to tell people. We have to teach. How can anyone preach unless they are sent? Well, here's the good news. Jesus is sending you. Jesus is sending you to minister to people. You're a minister. So where is Jesus sending you? Jesus is sending you to your family. This is especially important for those of you who have kids. Right, The home is the primary source of discipleship. We have, we, and I don't just say this because I work here and they're my friends, but we have amazing children in youth programs, like we really do. Pastor Rochelle and Miles, they do a phenomenal job at taking care of your kids and teaching them a love, the love of Christ. But it's not enough. And like study after study after study after study show that if you just count on the church to disciple your children, that the overwhelming majority of them have a crisis of faith and walk away from the church for an extended period of time, right? Because the church, the youth ministry, the children's ministry, those are secondary sources, and they're never meant to take the place of the primary care, the primary discipleship source. But a lot of, a lot of well-meaning Christian parents outsource their kids' dis- discipleship and spirituality to the church, and it's not intended for it to happen that way. Right? God gives instructions in the, in the scriptures like take care of your kids, teach them this, talk about it in your comings and your goings, bind it on your foreheads and on your arms, make it always on your lips. If you're stuck and you don't know how to do this, like I don't know how to disciple my kids. I know Pastor Rochelle sends out newsletters. I know she has uh, helpful tips and things that you can use. But talk to us, please. You know, if you're like, I don't know how to disciple my kids, we will help you. I will help you be able to bring that into your home and do it. Because it has to start there. He's sending you to your family. Um, he's sending you to disciple your, your angry parents, your vindictive siblings, your in-laws that you don't like talking to. Like, God is sending you to those people. He's also sending you to your workplace, Right? We should be sharing the message of the gospel where you work. Sorry, I'll say something to Edgar again. He does this all the time. He tells me about like talking to people that work about Jesus. I'm like, go Edgar. He's a minister. Um, so question, do your coworkers know you're Christian? How many of your coworkers know you're a Christian? Raise your hand. Okay, so follow-up question. Do they know you're a Christian because you told them or because you showed them? Like, do they know you're a Christian by your actions Or do they know you're a Christian because you said you go to church on Sunday and you don't want to work that day? (laughs) Right? We become super holy when they want us to work on Sunday. Like, oh, you know what? That's my day to praise and worship my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And I just, I can't do that to him. Like, if you take me away, I I just won't be a good employee that day because I I have to to be with my God. And then you sleep in until 10 and you're like, oh, do I want to go today? Maybe we'll just have a late breakfast. Your coworkers know you're Christian because you, sh- you showed them by how you treated them, by how you forgave them, by how you didn't bite off the heads of your employees when they did something bad. We should be proclaiming Christ through our actions, not just our words. The way you live your life should line up with the message of the gospel, right? We should be the same people in and out of church, in and out of work, you know? The, 
the, the person that you are, prim and proper, on Sunday should, you, you, if that's really you, then you should be that person on Monday through Friday when you're working. If that's not who you are, then come to church as the real you. And be honest with that. And let's pray and let's work together on the path of discipleship to help get you on the right track of following Jesus. Like, don't be fake. Be real. Be who you are. Huh. A lot of workplace environments are filled with people who are anxious, depressed, angry, sad, fed up with life. The gospel has the answer to all of those things. What's the answer? On three. One, two, three. Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is calling you to make disciples in the workplace. Show up early, start a Bible study. Invite someone to church. Ask them if you can pray with them, whatever it is. Man, that, you know, I'm really sorry you're going through that. Can I pray with you? They're gonna, usually when you ask somebody for prayer, even if they're hostile towards God, they'll say yes. Pray for them. Scripture says the prayers of a righteous man availeth much. Like it's, Pray for them and watch God work in their, in their life. Um, and then, uh, sorry, I'm wrapping up here quickly. <laughs> call to your family, call to the workplace, you're called to the church. Yes, Jesus is sending you to the church, not in terms of the building, but the people. Jesus is sending us to the people in the church because we're supposed to be building up the body of Christ, which is us collectively sitting in this room. And I just gotta say like how I'm so like overjoyed at the way that our volunteers have been coming together. Like all of you who volunteer and everything that goes into making Sunday happen and the events that we, the, the event that we did last Saturday, like I'm so, I'm just so happy because people are coming here not begrudgingly, that's the like second time I use that word today, not begrudgingly, but they're coming here happily and serving God and loving on people and doing the mission of the gospel. Right, we, over the last few months, we've had some new people come through the doors, and when I talk to them, the thing that I hear the most is, the volunteers are so friendly. Like, they're so nice. It's like fun watching Doss outside, like, spinning the welcome sign. You know, like, he's so excited, like, yeah! <laughs> I'm, I'm, waiting, I'm waiting to see, like, a part-time job, one of those tax things, like. <laughs> but people saying that is huge, Right? Because our goal is to create a place of belonging, not a place of clean yourself up and then come in once you meet our rules, but come in however you are because the gospel can intersect any part of your life at any age, at any place, regardless of tragedy or disaster, whatever's going on. Like, just be yourself and come here and let us love on you and give you some free donuts and tell you about Jesus who can fix your problems. But... Like even, I mean, it's, it's easy to say in kids ministry and in youth ministry, and I will say that our, our kids ministry, like we, we have been having new families come. And I'll be honest, on, on Easter, we had somebody come in and they saw what was going on and they left. They brought their kid in and then they left because I, I, they, 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 I don't know, they didn't think there was enough volunteers or, or what was going on. But to me, that, that was kind of like, it was kind of heartbreaking. And I felt, I felt bad in that moment, like, what could we have done better to help this lady? And I don't know what was going on. Maybe she got a phone call and they're like, hey, Amazon's at your house. You need to come pick up your, your, your thing. Like, I don't know. Like, whatever. But with the influx of kids that we've had, like, we need help in children's ministry. And I get the aversion to wanting to help in kids' ministry. It's hard. I was in the nursery a few weeks ago <laughs> with Nancy, and I was like, I, I don't know what to do right now. Like, I have my own daughter, but now there's eight of them. Like, so I go, and there's this little kid playing with the toy, and, and I'm like, hey, how you doing? And then he looks at me, and he, like, turns. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm 6'4". Let me, let me get down here. I'm like, hey, buddy, what are you doing? And he just, like, still won't talk to me. So, and then I'm trying to, like, hold this kid that's crying, and then that makes them cry more. So finally, I'm like, Charlotte loves me, right? So, do you want to come to daddy? And then, like, she crawls away. I'm like, what the heck is going on? None of these kids want to, right? And so it's hard. I get it. But here's the truth. God has called some of you to minister to these kids. And you haven't answered that call. And maybe you keep telling God it's not the right season. God's like, it's the right season. Go sign up. Go help. Right? And we, 
we've got to look at it from the standpoint of, right, it's not about me. Let me get the focus off myself, and maybe I have something that I can share. Maybe God has gifted me to be able to teach these little kids and do the crafts and, and see them like the light bulb go off in their head. Like, that's the, that's the thing that gets me, like, teaching kids and seeing them for the first time realize the truth of the gospel message. It's like, oh my gosh, this is the cutest thing I've ever seen in my life. Like, you know, and you get to lead a little kid to Jesus. Like, it's just awesome. All right, because we have been doing great things, but there's still more for us to do. There's more for us to do in our homes. There's more for us to do in our jobs. There's more for us to do in our church with the body of Christ to see people built up and discipled, right? Discipleship can take place on the security team. Discipleship can take place in the hospitality team, in the sound team, the media team, right? It doesn't just have to be a teaching ministry, but it's about making relationships with one another and helping spur each other on to good works in Christ Jesus. Um, worship team, you guys can come up here. So if God has called you and you've been avoiding the call to help out with kids, you can leave right after service and go talk to Pastor Rochelle and say, hey, how can I help you? And she tries really hard to make it like once a month if she can. But the, the, point, the point of this is we should not be comfortable just sitting around and not being a part of what God is doing. Like God is doing amazing things in people's lives. And God is wanting to do much more. And he's calling us to be involved in that. So when you said yes to Jesus, you said yes to his mission to seek and save the lost. You said yes to his mission to make disciples. So get the focus off yourself. Realize that you are not the center of the story. God is. And the purpose is to bring him glory. Get the focus on Christ. Commit your life to pursue and serve a higher purpose than your own. <laughs>